0: Hello and welcome into another edition of At The Yard, along with Ricky Botalico. I'm Corey Seidman. Thanks to everybody out there who's listening and subscribing and rating At The Yard wherever you get your podcasts. And this Phillies-Brewers series wears on. Ricky, the big topic coming out of the second game was whether or not Bryce Harper needed a day off to clear his head. His slump continues. He's batting below 150 over his last 21 games with a whole lot of strikeouts. What do you see as the root cause of Bryce Harper's issues at the plate right now? Is it one thing you can pinpoint?
1: Oh, man, I would love to say it's one thing. But, I mean, when, when you look at his swing, I feel like there's guessing going on. I really do. Um, he's not catching up to fastballs either. That's a big issue to me. I mean, this is a guy that uh, power hitters normally look fastball and want to hit the fastball. It seems as though when he is getting the fastball, it may be a little bit elevated and he can't get on top of it. The other thing is, I mean, I, I just see an off-balance guy right now. Beginning of the year, that was fine. Hand-eye coordination was there. That you lose that a little bit, and your and your body's going in different directions. To me, I look at this and say to myself, what could make him stay in the in the uh, towards the pitcher a little bit longer? And that's thinking left center field. I, I really believe that this is a guy that's got to stay in there a little bit longer. That front side likes to kick out. His hip likes to open up. And if your timing is not perfect with his swing. You're not going to hit the baseball.
0: I remember you talking about that the first week of the season. You know when Harper was going well, but how when you look at his at bats, even when he is hitting, sometimes the head's coming off, and it's yeah. a violent, it's a violent swing. And you mentioned that when your timing is not there, that approach that he has, that unorthodox approach, can lead to prolonged slumps. But he, right? I mean,
1: he, yeah, it he could. But I mean, this, he's been doing it since since he started swinging at bats. So I mean, it's something that that he's used to, but. You know, sometimes that hip gets a little quicker. And once it turns out a little bit quicker, that means you really have to get the hands on the ball. And if you're if you not doing that, you're going to be in prolonged slumps. This is a little worse than I expected. I, I didn't think... I know he's a he's a streaky hitter. I know he goes in little slumps. But the swings and misses are, are more concerning to me than anything else.
0: Well, it's, it's, it's glaring the difference between... Okay, the first six years of his career, Harper struck out, but not to this degree. He averaged 141 strikeouts per 162 games. Since the start of last season, that averages up to 185 yeah. per 162 games. So this is just... The evolution of him as a player has been in that way negative in terms of the additional swings and misses. There was a pitch in Tuesday night's Brewers game from a Brewers reliever. It was like a 57-foot breaking ball on a two-strike count. That Bryce Harper swung, it wasn't even close to being a strike. I mean, it wasn't even close to reaching the plate. That, to me, showed that he's kind of just, just... I don't want to say lost, but he he's not in a good place right you're now.
1: You're definitely a little lost. As a hitter, when you go in slumps like this, you are lost, whether whether that's the words they want to use. But in, in layman's term, that's what they are. They're a little lost because you're trying to figure out different things. Is it is it getting my foot down? Is it not getting my hands through the zone? Am I not seeing the ball? I think it's a mix of everything right now because, like you said, swinging at a 50-something foot curveball, You're not seeing the ball out of the the pitcher's hand.
0: And this is a disciplined hitter who does see the ball out of the pitcher's hand pretty well. If you were pitching to him right now, what would your strategy be? Would it be any different than it
1: would be when he's going well? Um, I mean, when I look at Bryce Harper, the one thing that I want to do is, number one, I want to get to a spot where I could elevate the fastball, Uh, especially if I throw harder. I want to be able to elevate a fastball chest high, middle of the plate. I also want to get ahead by staying away from him. If I, if I could throw a sinker that looks like it's in the middle of the plate and is going away from him, he will swing through it. If he doesn't swing through it, there's a good chance he's going to roll over it and pull it to the right side for a weak ground ball. And uh, right now, yeah, I guess I would switch things up a little bit. Like you said, we, you know, on one occasion you said he swung in a 50-something foot curveball. The other thing is, is that I would go with two strikes. If he doesn't bite on the fastball up top, I'm going to throw a breaking ball in the dirt. I'm going to give him some deception. I want it, want it to look like it's going to be over the plate, and have it, have it die in the uh, before the before it gets to the plate. I, I, I just think when, when a guy's a free swinger like that, if he's not seeing my pitches, I, I'm I'm at an ad, advantage as it is. And now I just have more holes to throw to, and and it's glaring. It really is.
0: So the offensive production over about the last three weeks has not been there for Bryce Harper. The defensive production has been there. He's been an impactful def- defensive player for the Phillies over these last few games. He has four sliding or diving catches for the Phillies in their last three games. He had two and one inning Tuesday And night. how many
1: times did he dive last year? One time say? all one, season. one time. I really believe, and I said this early in the season, I, I think that was because he was coming up on his contract year and didn't want to have an injury uh curtail that. I, I just think right now what he's doing, he knows he has to make up for his hitting somewhere, and he's doing it in the field. He's doing a really nice job in the field. Uh, there are no complaints there. I mean, he gets the ball back into the infield as quickly as anybody on this team, and he's covering a lot of ground. So, I mean, you know. Tip your cap to him in that sense, because a lot of guys, and I played with some guys when they went into slumps, would would shut it down not only offensively, but defensively.
0: Well, you would think that if ever there was an opportunity to sit Bryce Harper, it would have been Wednesday, and the reason I say that is he's slumping at the plate, he banged his knee on one of those sliding catches in right field Tuesday night, and the Phillies are facing a lefty in Gio Gonzalez, who does have some deception and can be tough on lefties. So... Really, if there was an opportunity for Gabe Kapler to sit down Bryce Harper, it seemed like it would be Wednesday, and that did not happen. Kapler talked about this on Tuesday night, and his his rationale, which I do agree with for the most part, was like he gives us the best chance to win, even oh, if even if Bryce Harper is slumping, he's this close to having a three or uh, you know a game where he gets on base four times or hits a three run homer, and the drop off from Harper to who would be replacing him is vast, even if Harper's not hitting. And
1: there's the war.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess. The question is, I mean, do you buy that for an offensive player like sitting one game to clear your head can be a cure all?
1: No, no, I don't. I I I just think if you are going to sit that game, I think the one thing that you you tell the hitter to do don't do anything today. Just take the day off, relax. uh, Just try to watch a game and enjoy a game instead of putting all that pressure in your mind that I have to do this or I have to do that. Uh, it, It it is a little surprising that he hasn't really gotten a day off. He had that. I guess, a partial day off in Kansas City with the designated hitter. But besides that, no. Um, I, for me, it's the more you see pitches, the better off you're going to be. And I know you brought up Gio Gonzalez. The thought maybe from Gabe Kapler could also be, well, Gio's not going to blow a fastball by him. True. And true. And if he could sit on a fastball and just have that in his mindset – it maybe it'll help him. I, I mean, Gio's also
0: not a guy who historically goes very deep into games, so he might only be pitching five, five and two thirds innings. In right, this
1: game. and there, there's also the factor that I mean, he's he has hit historically, he's hit pretty well against lefties, so right. I don't think a lefty righty thing has anything to do with this. I just think when when you, when you look at a guy like Gio, he's not going to throw 98 miles an hour and blow by you. He's going to try to fool you, and and if and maybe this could actually help. Harper, in a sense, that he has to stay back against this guy. You can't be jumping out in front against him. You have to wait for the ball to come to you. So maybe it does help him in the long run.
0: Well, through the first two games of this series, Bryce Harper has not faced Josh Hader, one of the toughest lefties oh, in the game. Man. But if he does at some point in this series, that's going to be quite an at bat to watch because Hader strikes out like sixty percent of the batters that he faces, and. I, nobody has a chance. Don't to forget, he got Biddle
1: right. early in the season, but that's when things were going well. And right. Biddle throws pretty hard, and and it's a lefty on a lefty combo. But
0: Jesse Biddle, who by the way has kind of fallen out of favor with Braves fans, he was on the on the shelf for a little bit after that Philly series, and the, uh, had a poor outing earlier this week and got booed. Uh,
1: had a had a poor outing on Tuesday, real poor yeah. outing. Yeah, this is uh, not the same guy that was there the uh, the previous year. So. Bryce Harper's
0: struggles kind of highlight another aspect of the Phillies' offense, which is that it has become a boom-bust offense. Michael Barkham pointed this out to me. I, I didn't realize this off the top of my head, but nine of the Phillies' first 17 losses, they scored one or no runs. Yep. And this is an offense that has been able to break out, whether it's multiple times in a game or, as we saw over the weekend in Kansas City, when they scored six and one inning against the Royals. And yet you look, this team isn't homering as much. Uh, they're not putting up crooked numbers as consistently as i think we would have believed with the depth of this lineup what do you think is the reason for that
1: you know a lot of people would say weather 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 i mean charlie Manuel was big on that They, oh it's hitting season well guess what they, they were hitting at the beginning of the year which is not great weather to hit in so i you know i don't know if there's like one thing to really point out the only thing that i could really think of is that the pitchers are making adjustments They've seen uh, what—I'll just bring up Reese Hoskins just to to throw it out there. He's been hitting that ball down, middle of the zone. So what do you think they're going to do? They're going to stay away from that area. They're going to try to beat him inside and then try to pitch him away. I know normally Reese will go up there and try to follow the pitches off that are away and just look for that mistake— but if you continually go out there sooner or later you're going to get one by them and i think that's what's happening i think i think other pitchers from other teams are getting scouting reports they're making adjustments of where not to throw the phillies they're not dumb we know that they live and die by the by the long ball right mm-hmm. so you don't think they do too
0: well in the first month of the season, the bottom of the order was producing regularly. You remember how hot of a start Franco got off to with the three-run home runs he was hitting. If ever there is an example that the opening portion of the season means more to fans than any other, it's with Michael Franco this season because you look at where he is now, and his numbers are almost exactly in line with his career. He's hitting two forty three, three nineteen OBP, slumped for the better part of the last month. But people aren't really blaming him or, or placing any of the um, offensive issues on Franco because he got out to such a hot start. Cesar Hernandez has been the guy who's kind of been uh, boosting the bottom of the order for the Phillies lately. Sure. The other thing that stuck out to me, and this is with Andrew McCutcheon at the top of the order, McCutcheon has come up with a lot of base runners on for a leadoff hitter because of guys like Cesar getting on base at the bottom of the order or Odubo Herrera when he's able to. Here McCutcheon, the number. Yeah, I was startled by this. I mean, I was, just, I was sitting there watching the game last night and thinking, Man, McCutcheon has stranded a lot of runners lately, and I looked it up. He's come up to the plate with 76 runners on base, and he stranded 67 of them. And wow. when you look at these at-bats that McCutcheon has had with runners in scoring position, his approach doesn't change. It's the same approach that he has to lead off a game, which is see as many pitches as possible, rarely jumping after that first pitch, gets to 2-2, two, 3-2 two, two almost every time, and then it's a matter of, okay, does the umpire call this call strike on the outside corner, True. or d- does he work the walk? Um, so, I, you know, if, with a player like that, I just wonder if there's a fine line between being too passive. Yes. or yes. Yeah, like Joey Votto, for example, that was the knock on him all these
1: years. I agree with that because sometimes you gotta ambush the pitcher. Sometimes you're gonna that first or second pitch you see may be the best one you're gonna see in your at bat. And I think that's really what's happening to McCutcheon. That goes back to the adjustments. Pitchers are making the adjustments. Is he? No, not right now. He's gonna he's he's stubborn, you know, he's gonna go up with that same thought process his whole career. He's been doing it his whole career. It's probably not gonna change. But Man, I mean, especially with runners on base, I, I, if I'm a hitter, I want to be a little anxious. I want to go and take my rips. I want to knock in some runs and look for that first-pitch fastball and, and drive it. You're no longer the leadoff hitter when you're coming up later in the game. You're just another guy in that lineup, and if there's guys on base, you have to do some damage and... I mean, those numbers are startling you just brought up.
0: So shifting gears to the pitching staff, which has been winning games for the Phillies lately, the rotation has been, I think, better than many of us expected early on here, and that is despite Aaron Nola carrying an ERA of 4.86 into his next start. Zach Eflin has been the bright spot, maybe the best player on the team, honestly, through the first six weeks of the season. He leads the baseball with two complete games. That that outing that he had over the weekend in Kansas City was yet another example of the stuff that he has, the poise that he has, the confidence he has in his stuff. Do you see signs of sustainability in this? Because Zach Eflin has done this every year. He's been up in the majors, ripped off five really good starts in a row and not been able to sustain it. But to me, this looks more legit.
1: I, I see a building of confidence. And, and, and when you're a pitcher, that, that's the biggest thing to grow on. And anybody will tell you everybody has good stuff in the, in the big leagues. The guys that uh, are pitching in the major leagues normally have the stuff to be there. And what's going to throw you over the top? success, right? Going out there and being able to do it game in and game out. Well, we've seen Eflin have a couple bad games, but he came back and and he picked it right back up where 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 he was so that tells me that he's grown number one as a pitcher he's grown mentally and he knows how to make in-game adjustments or or maybe not even an in-game adjustment or making an adjustment during your bullpen session in between your starts that's what pitching's all about is being able to do things on the fly and, yeah, I, I think I, – I love what Eflin has done. I, I, ju- I just think this is a guy who gets the ball and knows what he wants to do with it. There's too much – you take a – you brought up Aaron Nola, and the one thing about Nola right now, if you looked at his tempo last year, it was ball, glove, ball, glove, ball, glove. Now it's like ball, I'm, I'm, I want to make sure what I'm going to do on my next pitch. I have to think about this. Your thinking should be done in those four days prior to your start. You should be able to go out on the mound and do what you have to do each and every pitch without even thinking about it. It's just throwing pitches with conviction. I don't see that in Aaron right now. So what
0: reason do you think, because I've noticed it too, I think everybody's noticed that from Aaron this year, is that the pace has slowed significantly. I thought earlier in the season it might be because... There's more of a um, focus on holding runners on because that was one of his weak right. points in years past. But he's also doing it when runners are not on base. So what, what do you think – Who is anybody telling him that, advising him that? Why would that change after I, such a great
1: season? I'm guessing that somebody told him to slow the game down. But that's supposed to be in your mind. It's not supposed to be on the field in in actual game time. What you're trying to do is slow the game down in your mind. That means, okay, if something's going wrong, refocus, recenter yourself, and then go. I see him almost doing it on every pitch, and that to me is a little concerning because this is a guy who naturally should just go out there, throw his pitches, and not worry about it. I feel like he's worrying about every pitch he's throwing. And when you do that, that takes you away from your game plan completely.
0: Before we move on to the Phillies' newest starting pitcher, just to get back to Zach Eflin real quick, I, I totally agree with what you said about how when he had that stumble against the Marlins, Eflin was able to bounce back in a way that he hasn't in seasons past. That game against the Marlins, and remember, Eflin entered that having made two great starts to begin the season, gave up six runs in four innings, was taken deep three times in Miami by a very bad Marlins team, the right. worst team in baseball, and then since then has a one eight zero ERA every start has been a good one. Uh, That is a sign of growth. Now, I just wonder, for example, okay, Eflin's last start came against the Royals. Cole Irvin, his first start, his major league debut, it came against the Royals. The Royals are not one of the better offensive teams in baseball. They're the kind of team that chases a ton of pitches. They are not patient. They extend the zone. It's hard to tell when a guy dazzles against the Marlins or the Royals or the Tigers, whether it really means that he's putting things together or he just was fortunate that, that the opposition didn't take advantage of a few mistakes. That Cole Irvin start, was there anything that told you this guy can get out consistently at the big league level? He uses every
1: piece of the strike zone. And with every pitch. If, if you watched what he did, I'm, I'm not saying he's Cy Young by any stretch of the imagination, but in the start that he did have, he used the inside part of the plate. He used off the inside part of the plate. He used the outside corner of the plate. He threw his breaking balls wherever he wanted them. I, look, when you're going into a game and you have complete command and complete control of your pitches, you're going to cruise regardless of who you're facing. I, I, I just believe that he went in there with a thought process of I'm going to throw my pitches, and I'm not going to let. Let's face it. When he gets here, it's not like they're like. Here's the scouting report. Here's what you have to do. Normally, when a when a young kid comes up and he's he's first starting, it's go with your strengths, stay with the catcher. That and and when you do that, if you have the thought that I'm just going to hit my spots, and this is no different than AAA, we'll see what happens. And that's what he did. He threw pitches where he wanted to put pitch. He made the hitters move a little bit. He moved them on the inside part of the plate and then went back away. It's it's really a diagram of how you should pitch. He pitched. He didn't throw the ball.
0: And it was right from the opening, you know, right from the opening inning, I noticed immediately then that when Irvin in the first inning was facing the top of the Royals' order, his fastballs were in perfect spots, yep. low and on the outside corner. You would think that with all the adrenaline involved in a big league debut and your family and your girlfriend are there to watch you, that... You know there's the you could miss over the plate just trying too hard to maybe like add some extra velo to a fastball but no he went with his game he was spotting his fastball and he had a really good outing because of it and it's just the polar opposite of the person he was replacing in the rotation, Vince Velasquez Vince. in terms of pitch efficiency and not as much of a focus on getting to two strikes and then punching you out, just getting it out early in a count if you can. That's something that Vince Velasquez has talked about over the years trying to improve, but he hasn't been able to do it. And now I gotta wonder, with Jared Ikoff pitching pretty well, save for Tuesday night's game in Milwaukee, which you had to expect, you know, for some yeah, sort of sooner regression. Or later. Um, and with Cole Irvin having an impressive debut, and with Nick Pavetta really hitting his stride at AAA, his last four starts have been good. Is Vince Velasquez even going to come back to a rotation spot when he's healthy?
1: I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, look, Pavetta still has to come up here and prove he can pitch. Um, Pitching in AAA is is different. all right. I mean, the strike zone and everything is the same, but hitters are definitely different. Um, Vince Velasquez, the biggest problem with Vince is is that, how many years now? Four years we've seen them, three or four years, whatever it's been. 75 starts as a Philly. Yeah, 75 starts, and it's been the same thing over and over again. So when do you draw that line? When do you say, alright, this guy's not going to get deep into games? Alright, this guy is barely a five-inning pitcher. What is our next step for Vince? And I think they're getting to that point now. Yeah, I think the
0: line has been drawn. The Phillies in every other way this season have shown that winning games means more than developing players. Finally. Yeah, with, the, been, with the position been they're three in. three or four years. So Vince Velasquez right. has pitched 380 innings as a Philly. He has the highest home run rate in the history of Phillies baseball among any pitcher who's pitched that many innings. Wow. 1.4 home runs per nine innings, you combine that with um, the inability to go deep in the games and the, the losing of the strike zone at times, and it could finally be time when Vince Velasquez is ready to come back in a few weeks that he
1: bullpen. yeah, goes to the bullpen. Very well could happen. Wouldn't surprise me. Um, he probably already knows. Somebody already knows over there, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I think it really depends on Cole Irvin's next, next steps, and it really uh, depends on you know, what Pavetta, what their plans are for Pavetta also.
0: Ricky, with the Brewers in town, thought this would be a good time to maybe introduce a new segment to the show: Uh-oh. Story Time with Ricky Bo. Oh boy! So, I mean, you had your uh, your travels throughout your days in the majors. Sure. You played for the Phillies, the Mets, the Cardinals, and you uh you also had some time with the Brewers there, didn't yep. you? In, yep. In uh, what sure year was that? Two thousand five.
1: Yeah, somewhere around there.
0: What What stuck out to you? What What were some of your um either fondest or least fond memories of your time as a Milwaukee Brewer? Uh,
1: you know what the the strangest thing that I've ever seen because I didn't. You don't realize this. Being from the East Coast, you think Yankees, Red Sox, Phillies, Mets—those are rivalries to us, right? Well, you go out there, and the strangest thing I've ever I, I can remember is that every time we would go to Wrigley Field, it would be all Brewers fans. Every time we would play them in Milwaukee, all Cubs fans. It was the oddest thing you've ever seen, and. The rivalry is real. I I, I never thought I would ever say this, but Milwaukee and and the Cubs have a very high rivalry. The fact is they're only like 80 miles away, Mm -hmm. and people don't even realize that. But um, the other thing is Milwaukee's got some great food. How about that? <laughs> there you go. On the field it wasn't that fun. It really wasn't. I mean there was there was, were ups Was Miller and downs. Park
0: was Miller Park as hitter friendly then as oh, it yeah. is now?
1: Yeah, Miller Park was a launching pad. It absolutely was. Especially when it got warm out and they opened up those windows. Yeah, the ball would fly.
0: That's what's so interesting to me about how Ryan Braun has demolished pitching at citizens bank park all these years he's been the best visiting player in the history of cbp as ryan braun he's coming from a ballpark that's even more hitter friendly and at home you know he's still like a 240 ish hitter these days i would say
1: they're even i even? would say they're even they're about even i mean it's not like one is way above the other i think citizens bank park especially when it gets warm is the best hitting park in the league
0: interesting i mean when i watch games at miller park It just looks smaller than CBP. Maybe it's because some of the power hitters they have, like like it plays smaller. I don't know. Like when Christian Yelich, it seems like when Christian Yelich, now he's a great player. Don't get me wrong, but like when he hits like a routinely deep fly ball. It seems like it's a no doubt homer at Miller Park, or guys when they hit fly balls to center field, and it it seems like it bangs off of that dark off
1: of that top the batter's eye. Yeah, which yeah. I mean
0: that's got to be maybe the best batter's it, eye in baseball. They do
1: say that. They do say they see the ball extremely well there. I I think I only maybe went up to the plate once in that ballpark, and yeah, you could see. Did the you go ball go really, Heck no, <laughs> heck no. Be lucky if I fouled one off. But um, the ballparks are fairly similar. I I, I just think. Uh, no, I think Citizens Bank Park plays a lot smaller when it's warmer out.
0: Hey, how good do you think this Brewers team is uh, among the you know the upper echelon National League teams? Because the the depth and power of their lineup strikes me. But you look at them coming into this series. Yelich is again having an MVP type of season, right. but entering the series. Almost everybody else in their lineup was not off to a good start, whether it's Grandal or Lorenzo Cain or uh, Ryan Braun. I mean, he, yep. he is coming on now, but he had a lengthy slump there. Uh, Mike Moustakis is doing okay, nothing special. Travis Shaw hitting in the 150s. How good do you think they are?
1: I think they're going to be there in the end. I really do. I think... Uh you know, you also have to understand they've been facing a lot of the Cubs, a lot of the Cardinals right now. So it's a little bit of a black and blue division for them. And when you face teams so much, I think the pitching really tends to pick out your weak points, especially the as much as they played like a team like the Cardinals. But I mean, that being said, it's still early in the season. You're going to see a lot of numbers turn around. You really are. I think a lot of guys don't like it when it's cooler out. They don't feel that it's baseball weather. And once that happens, you'll see a lot of numbers turn around. I think the same thing's going to happen to Harper.
0: That Cubs team you mentioned is the hottest team in baseball. I think they've won 23 of 30. That is where the Phillies go after this homestand. It's two more with the Brewers entering Wednesday night, yep. then three with the Rockies, four with the Cubs, three with the Brewers, then come the Cardinals and the Dodgers. So it is just a murderer's row of competition for the Phillies. It's going to be interesting. Forward. Tough this, pitching this,
1: staffs, tough lineups. There's a big stra- – to me, there's a measuring stick. Right now becomes your measuring stick. This is how you'll know if you're going to be good it, it, or you have a lot of work to do. And But when I when I look at certain teams, you look at the – but a team like the the Brewers, their starting rotation doesn't impress me. No, not at all. So, I mean, uh, the Phillies starting in rotation doesn't really impress a lot of people either. I mean, when when you look at it, if you're coming in from another team, you're like, what, Eflin? Right. Irvin? I mean, come on. Right. But... Um, I think there's once uh, when, when summer kicks in I think you're going to see a lot more slugfests. If the Phillies can else. play
0: if they can play 500 baseball against that grueling upcoming schedule it might be enough quite honestly because look at the, you have to base it on what the rest of the division is doing the Phillies enter the third game of the Brewers series up three and a half games on the Braves and Mets and up eight games on the Washington Nationals who I thought were going to be their biggest competitor this season so if they can find their way out of that next stretch of like 12-15 really tough games and still have an advantage of three or four games in the NL East, they're going to feel really good about where they, they are. They should.
1: They should. I mean, this is a good team. They're going to be in the thick of it the whole season. There's, I don't think there's any doubt about it. I know a lot of people are saying, well, their records are almost identical from last year to this year. It's a completely different team completely different team and that doesn't that doesn't phase me in the least. I just look at this and and say I want to see consistent baseball day in day out. They haven't gotten to that point yet.
0: I wrote about this this week at at nbcsportsphiladelphia.com but it should be encouraging to Phillies fans that they have arrived at this record with a nearly 600 winning percentage on a pace for mid-90s wins with their two most important players performing well below their capabilities right. in Aaron Nola and Bryce Harper and really when you go beyond that there aren't too many guys on this team that have drastically outperformed expectations like Zach Eflin has, Jared Eikhoff has, Adam Morgan has. But aside from those three guys, there's nobody who you look at and you say, oh, big-time regression is coming. I agree. Andrew McCutcheon, Gene Segura, JT Real Muto, all doing pretty much what they have done over the last one or two seasons. So, I mean, that that foretells that unlike last season, Regression could actually benefit the Phillies moving
1: forward. You know, I, I guess the one thing that that's been missing is that total consistency from from the whole club, and that's the only thing that really bothers me. I, I think they they've had some they've had about ten stinkers, like really bad games, and the rest they've been either right in it or won them. So I mean, what do you really say? They're 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 a good team that's going to get better as they gel as the season goes on.
0: And that's going to do it for today's edition of At The Yard. For Ricky Bo, I am Corey Seidman. Thanks for listening, rating, and subscribing. Wherever you get your podcasts, we'll talk to you again soon.